What is happening, friends? This is Chris. You're about to listen to a message that I taught on one of our community worship nights here in Jamestown, Tennessee, about confession and forgiveness. This is in the Foundations of Prayer series. Don't bail on this. I know this can be a hard topic, but I think this is one of the most important aspects of living a healthy life, not only with the Lord, but also in community. I pray that it blesses you. I read a quote recently that said, God wants, to be, God wants prayer to be your steering wheel, not your spare tire. As in, it's the thing that leads and shapes your life is your connection and your communion with Him instead of the thing you fall back on when everything else fails. We, we started, maybe a month and a half ago, um, a series talking about prayer. And it's been interesting because I've had... Sorry, I'm just flung in my throat. I've had a... I mean, it's just been a topic that's been on my heart and on my mind a lot. And I started reading books recently about prayer and... And to be totally honest, there was an author that I really like, and they put out a book about prayer. And I was like, I don't know if I feel like reading a prayer book right now. And uh, I love, you know, I was like in my worship books and in my whatever other point me to Jesus books. And um, yeah, the topic of prayer, I was like, I don't know. And as soon as I dove into it, uh, just really, really focused on our prayer life, just realizing it's literally like my whole life with God is my communion and conversation with Him. And so reframing prayer to not be the thing we just kneel at the bed and do, like stereotypically, which is great and it's awesome to kneel, um, but just as being the complete life and walking with the Lord and being in communion with Him. So the first thing that we talked about in part one of this was cultivating a personal prayer life. Um, and it was really just about like building that consistency of relationship with the Lord and talking to Him. Stan, you're looking at me. You don't need to talk louder. Okay, um, you're looking all serious. Uh, and then part two, we talked about abiding in Jesus continually. So meditating on Him, what it looks like to meditate on the Lord, and how to take that into consistency in our life, um, all day, every day, being in constant prayer without ceasing, in constant conversation in the midst of everything that we do. And tonight, this was probably the hardest message that I've written, and I wrote it like three weeks ago, and the last two weeks it just didn't feel right, so something about it. Um, But tonight I want to talk about confession and forgiveness, and I want to base it off of uh, the scripture where David prays, God, would you search me and know me? And I want to talk about confession and forgiveness specifically with the Lord. So it's really important to confess your sins one to another. It's important to seek forgiveness and give forgiveness from one person to another. But I feel like if it doesn't start with your own relationship with the Lord, and if you can't really bare your soul to the Lord, you're never going to do that well with other people. So I want to talk about confession and forgiveness tonight. Come as you are and be changed. So there's a really common narrative Um, in culture right now that says, come as we are. And what I think they kind of is really pushed as right now is come as what you are, as in in the sin, in the lifestyle that you're in, and Jesus is going to have to accept you the way you are. To be approved of with the sin that you're already in. And Jesus absolutely welcomed and welcomes sinners like you and me into his family all the time. But the difference between that narrative and the truth is Jesus didn't come to accept our sin. Jesus came to cleanse us from it. 
Whatever you look like, talk like, or act like, you are invited to encounter the love of Jesus. However, when you meet him, if you truly encounter his love and grace, it will cause you to change. Knowing Jesus is knowing his holiness, and his holiness exposes the, area of, the areas of our hearts and minds that are not holy. When we know about the nature of Jesus, he exposes something so that it can be healed, corrected, or removed. Why else expose it? I, I think I shared this once before, but um, I was out bush hogging some years back on our land, and I kept hitting rocks, which if you take care of land in Tennessee, you grow rocks. They seem to pop up out of places that they weren't there before. And one of the things that I realized was as I would be mowing and I would hit a rock or I would uncover a rock, there were days that I hopped off and I took the rock and threw it out of the field or put it up by a tree where I wouldn't hit it. And there were days I was like, mm, this, is a, this is a long way down off this tractor. I'm just going to keep going. And you know what happened? Next time I mowed, I hit the darn rock again. And I started to realize that when something is uncovered, if, you, if something is uncovered, if you don't actually deal with it, when it's uncovered, you're just going to keep circling around and hitting it again and again. <clears throat> so if I can be a bit controversial for just a moment, and I usually try to avoid that because it's not typically my personality, but I think one of the problems with the current grace message that we've been preaching over the years is that it's absolutely Jesus who makes a way for us to have a relationship with him. But our response must be to repent and be changed into the image and likeness of Jesus. If you're taking notes, uh, you can write down 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18, which I'll read later. John 12 says that unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. We must die to our sin nature as part of that. And I put a note here, contrary to popular, quote-unquote, set-it-and-forget-it theology, this is an ongoing process. You don't immediately change every aspect of your life the day that you accept Jesus. You actually have a process to walk out with Him continually. Continually being changed to act like, be like, and look more like Jesus. To represent Jesus to the world. It's actually what it means to be a Christian. In fact... Christian was really a derogatory term when it first came up, and it was used to say, oh, you little anointed one, you little Christ, you follower of Jesus. We now say it as kind of a badge of honor. I went through a season in my life, I didn't want to be called a Christian, because I didn't like what the church at certain points in time had kind of made Christianity to look like. But we can't represent Jesus without submitting to him. Jesus said to be holy as he is holy. I don't know about you, but if you really take that one deep, is it actually possible to be holy? Romans 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So I used to love to ask this question. In fact, our guy's Bible study, I just jumped out with controversial questions at the very beginning because I wanted to be able to go deep. And so one of the questions I asked the very first time we got together is, can you go a period of time without sinning? Okay, I'm going to step on toes. And I could be wrong. I'm always going to be that guy who says, I could be wrong here. I had a friend who basically said, 
No, you sin every second of every minute of every hour of every day. You're constantly sinning. I personally don't actually believe that. Um, and I'm going to assume that maybe we don't all believe that we are constantly acting out on sin. So let me break it down this way. Can you go five minutes without actively sinning? Can you go an hour? Can you have a day that you're not walking in sin? I'm not talking about sin nature and struggling with sin, but I'm talking about like actively sinning. Can you go a week? Is this possible? Is it possible to actually walk towards holiness? Don't worry, I'm going to walk this back a little bit. So if that bothered you, here's one that's going to bother you a lot. I heard a quote once that said, if you can't be free from sin until you die, Jesus isn't your savior. Death is. Now here's where I'm going to start walking backwards a little bit. I'm going to give both sides of this. Here's what we do know. Jesus made a way for us to be clean from sin. But in this life here on earth, we will wrestle with it. Paul said in Romans 7, verse 15, For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing everything that I hate. However, he goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are meant to pursue holiness. Now, some of these questions are a little, like, far, and they can be hard and challenging, and we don't have exact answers, maybe, to them, but we are meant to pursue holiness. I think we can all agree on that. 1 Peter chapter 1, 14-16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours and your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So how do we pursue holiness if we still wrestle with sin? Psalm chapter, or Psalm, yeah, chapter 139, verse 23. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful or sinful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. So far in this little series that's been very broken up over the last couple months, we've talked about having a rhythm of prayer, spending time with the Lord, taking time to meditate on Him and His nature, and abiding in Him continually. So let's talk now about bearing our souls before the Lord. I love this song because David essentially says, God, would you come search all of who I am? The good, the bad, the public, the hidden parts. Expose whatever is not of you. And then he said, lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, lead me in how to do this right. Help me remove all the junk from my soul and make me more like you. Psalm chapter 90 verse 8 says, You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So, let me ask this question. Why was David considered a man after God's heart? Have you ever asked that question? I mean, if you know David's life, like, really, this guy? I mean, he was a liar, an adulterer, a manipulator, a murderer, just to name a few of his faults. I mean, you know, just casual faults. 
dude killing people, and we're like, yeah, yeah, he loves the Lord. Um, if my daughter wanted to date a guy with his rap sheet, I'd be like, absolutely not. I don't care what he loves. Not that guy. So how on earth can he be considered a man after God's heart? Here's one thing that David did well. He would lean into God in both his times of great obedience and times of great wrestling with sin. Psalm 51 is actually a prayer that he prayed after his affair with Bathsheba. Which I don't know if anyone else has ever thought about this, but it's weird to me that the Bathsheba happened thing when she was taking a bath. I'm like, come on, that's a little... I don't know about that one. Anyways, after that, in Psalm 51, verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Let me go ahead and say, when we're looking at the life of David, eat the meat and spit out the bones, for sure. There's a lot in David's life that is to be admired, but there's also a lot that we don't want to emulate. I think we all know that pretty well by now. There's a lie of the enemy that says, I feel closer to God after I sin. Maybe there's something to sinning and repenting that brings me close to God. I realize this sounds absurd, but I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard people say this same statement to me, unrelated to one another. People in Florida, people in Tennessee. In fact, when I was a kid, I had that same thought. I was like, man, after I really mess up, I feel so welcomed back into the Lord. Maybe this is just like a pattern I should follow. Let's just go ahead and just kill that one real quick. That's, and I think, I really believe that's a tactic of the enemy to try to keep people bound in sin. So bearing our hearts before the Lord, being raw and open to Him, submitting ourselves to His correction and leading are necessary practices for the believer. So what is it then to confess your sin? I asked my mom if I could tell this story. I remember a time I was in the car with my mom. We were driving somewhere and she asked for forgiveness. She wasn't actually talking to me. She wasn't asking me for forgiveness. She was on the phone. And she asked the person for forgiveness. And the conversation ended. We're driving down the road. And I said, Mom, you know you didn't really apologize. (laughs) And she looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, well, you just asked him to forgive you. Well, but I was apologizing. I said, I know in your heart you were apologizing, but technically, you skipped the step of admitting that you were wrong and jumped to, will you please forgive me? The way that confession works is we admit our fault and we submit that to the other person humbly, and it's their response that they can forgive us. As I pointed that out, my mom was like, first of all, we started cracking up. Second of all, she immediately picked up the phone and called the person back and was like, I just want to say I'm sorry. And they were, uh, sure, shocked. And she's like, no, no, like, I didn't say I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Now will you please forgive me? <laughs> and then we laughed, like, all the rest of the way to wherever we were going. It's one of my, it's a, an early memory of my teenage years. <laughs> but was my mom not repentant because she didn't say with her words that she was sorry? Of course she was. In this scenario, what was missing was clear communication. But for many, the request to be forgiven actually does lack a heart of repentance. I've seen many occasions 
that someone suggested that they should be forgiven and didn't even have the thought of confessing what they had done in the first place. Unlike my mom in that story, often when people are exposed for doing the wrong thing but don't have the conviction that they were wrong, they shift responsibility to someone else to resolve the situation. There's a difference between I'm sorry and I'm sorry I got caught. One is evidence of conviction and is accompanied by change, and the other is a response to being cornered. So what about God's forgiveness? If Jesus died on the cross to make a way for my forgiveness, do I need to confess my sins? I've actually bumped into this one a lot in church culture. And this is actually kind of a widespread disagreed thing, to be totally honest. But let me just give you an example. If I did something wrong to you, and you chose me to for, you chose to forgive me without me having apologized or admitting that I was wrong, I still can't move past it. By forgiving me, you can move past it. But if I haven't accepted and admitted that I was wrong, I'm still stuck in it. Even though there is forgiveness in Jesus, we must actively confess and repent of areas in our life that don't match the life that he made a way for. True confession leads to change. If you can't confess it, you have no chance of changing it. When you confess something, it opens the door for you to change. If you don't realize and admit there is a problem, you cannot find healing for it or deliverance from it. So how then do we change a behavior or habit that we struggle with consistently? We ask for help. Father, I need your help in this area. The beauty of our relationship with the Father and having open dialogue with him is he's so good that we can go right to him and say, I am am sorry, I'm wrong here. Would you correct this area of my heart? There's a quote by a guy named Pete Gregg who wrote a book called How to Pray that I absolutely love, and it says this, There is more grace in God than sin in you. Repentance is a change of heart and mind. And people often use repentance and confession interchangeably, but what I'd like to suggest is that confession makes way for repentance to happen. If repentance is changed, we have to acknowledge where we're at to get to repentance. Okay, so we've touched on confession. Let's talk about forgiveness. Or better yet, let's talk about forgiving. Since we're talking about our prayer life with the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Just as God perfectly forgives us, we need to forgive others. When you hold unforgiveness towards someone, chances are they're not even thinking about you. Often we spend time angry and leads to bitterness with a person that is oblivious to our grudge. There is a saying about bitterness that I feel like sums it up perfectly. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Just like admitting that you were wrong opens the door for repentance, forgiveness brings freedom from the torment of holding on to the offense or the pain. 
There's a reason Jesus instructed us to forgive others. It is both for them and for us. So story time. I had a conversation with a friend years back in which he prefaced whatever he was about to say with, um, hey man, I I, I don't want to offend you. And I stopped him and I said, bro, I mean like, you can't really offend me. Like, I'm pretty unoffendable. Go ahead, say whatever you want to say. And truthfully, whatever he said, I don't even remember now, it didn't offend me. (laughs) How many of you guys can guess how this pans out for me? Truthfully, aside from my pride in that moment, I wasn't offended by whatever he said. But as I'm sure you can feel the punchline coming not long after that conversation, he ended up offending me more than almost anyone else in my life ever has. What offended me so much was that we would schedule time to get together, and he would constantly cancel last minute. Not a couple times. This happened basically every time I took time out of my schedule to get together with him. And it was always a different reason or excuse. But what didn't change was that he would cancel. (laughs) This went on for a really long time until finally I stopped trying to get together with him. And I decided that if he didn't have time to be friends, I was done. I was over. So why this dramatic story? Here's where it's got even more of a plot twist. Sometime later, God exposed my heart. I wrote this down because I wanted to get all the points in it. Sometime later, God exposed my heart and pointed out how offended I had become. Not only was I offended, I was now holding unforgiveness on top of it. Here's where it gets real. As I'm praying about it, because the wound got scratched and it came up, Holy Spirit tells me to apologize to Him. This is how you know when you hear the Holy Spirit. Because there's no way I would have even thought of that one. What? Wait, you mean like I should forgive Him? Why would I apologize to Him? (laughs) I'll forgive him instead. Well, there's a reason I like to call this Holy Spirit Holy Harasser sometimes. At this point, it wasn't just him who had wronged me. Now at this point, I was wrong for being I was wrong for being offended and turning bitter over the situation. So I confessed it to God, I released it, and I asked God to help me forgive my friend. So I I really feel the Lord put on my heart. I want you to reach out to him and I want you to apologize. This is like nails on a chalkboard. But I had peace in my heart, strangely. Peace and comfort are not always the same thing. And so I reached out to my friend. I sent him a text. And I was like, hey man, can we get together? I I just want to... I want to get together with you and just, you know, catch up. I figured we'd cross the apology bridge when we got there. You want to know what's really funny? He didn't show up. But you know what my response was when he didn't show up? I laughed. I really did. I genuinely laughed and I wasn't even upset. And that's for me how I knew that the Lord had taken me through this process of actually releasing it. And it was genuinely funny to me. I was like, how ironic. This is exactly how this story should end. Father, help me to forgive, let go, be free, and free them. Chip, would you play if you're down? Um, 
Walking through confession and forgiveness can be challenging and daunting to say the least, but it is one of the most important processes for our relationships and our own health and wholeness. What I hope to point out in this little series talking about prayer um, is really learning to be one-on-one with the Lord consistently. It's important and biblical to confess to other people and forgive those that hurt us, but it has to start with being raw and real with God. There's a a good-sized stream that I like to run down to and spend time with God near, and I usually sit for just a few moments in the middle of my run as the water moves over the rocks and I listen to it. I sit on the bridge above it and either close my eyes and listen to the water, or sometimes I'll look down through the water at the rocks below while I pray or ponder or quiet my mind. And it's often in the morning where I really get to find like a couple moments of like real peace. Most of the time the water is crystal clear, and if you were to wade your way through it, it would be easy to see a path to walk from rock to rock. But on occasion, after a big rain, the waters will be muddy from the runoff of the dirt from the hills around it. If you were to try to travel through this stream when the dirt had entered from the outside, it wouldn't be clear enough to safely navigate it. When sin or unforgiveness enter our soul, it muddies the waters, making it hard for us to see and clearly hear the things of the Spirit. So how do we keep the stream clean? By spending time with God. Having a consistent prayer life, meditating on the truth of who He is, confessing and releasing the dirt that's made its way in. Jesus made a way for us to walk with him in purity. Will we wrestle with sin and distractions at times when we live on earth? Of course. But the more we submit our hearts and minds to Jesus, the less they will have a place in our lives and the clearer the stream will stay. I love this section of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says... But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Would you close your eyes tonight? Here's what I want to do. We don't typically do like an altar call, but what I would like to do is if the Lord is stirring something in your heart tonight, whether it be something that you just need to give to him, or someone that you need to forgive and finally let go of the unforgiveness that you've been holding on to. Jess and I and my mom or whoever will hang out over here. And just if you just want prayer, you don't have to confess to any of us. 
we can just pray over you. And I want to, you need to keep your eyes closed, I want to add something that's a little hard and a little tough to talk about. When I was a kid, I learned about the sex slave trade. And I was zealous for the Lord. And I heard about this horrific industry. And I was so filled with anger. And I remember talking to God about it. Like, God, I just want to kill those men. Just being honest. And the Holy Spirit asked me if I could love them. And I wrestled with it. For probably weeks, that question, can you love the abuser? Whether it be something that's far removed from you, or can you love the one or the people in your life who have abused you? Doesn't mean you need to have a relationship with them on a daily basis. Doesn't mean you need to put yourself in a toxic situation. But can you love them enough to pray for them and bless them and release it from your own heart? Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So Chip's going to sing. And if you just want to be prayed over, we're here to pray over you. And we're just going to take a few minutes. And if not, you can sing and worship and rest in His presence. Father, we thank You. We love You. Pray that you would continue to shape us to be more like you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode. I hope that it encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to find more resources, donate to Breath of Heaven, or find more about Breath of Heaven music, you can check us out at breathofheaveninc.org. That is breathofheaveninc.org, and we'll see you in the next one. Have a great day.